0: who is mike johnson i have no idea but thankfully reinhold knows a little bit and has been researching it all week i've never heard of mike johnson but he's actually been somewhat a consequential person in the behind the scenes of the republican circles of the house he is a fourth term congressman who is now the speaker of the house after a long contentious process we're going to talk to you about what the speaker of the house does how we got here, and who is Mike Johnson. So stay tuned right on the other side of the Chris Spangle Show. We run on the value for value model here on the Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means, do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills, you're also going to get ad-free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed of all the past episodes and there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like i am about to do right now thank you so much to our 100 a month members especially vincent Picole matthew durbin jason Doolittle, christy avery and our good friend reinhold thank you so much for supporting us and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. Thanks so much for joining me. My name is Chris Spangle. We are glad that you are here, as you heard during the commercials. Thanks so much to everybody that supports us on Patreon. That is how we pay the bills. And listen, if you like this show, if you get something out of the show, please support the show. We are really trying to grow, and we're putting a lot of effort back into this. And that takes a lot of time. It takes two to three hours. Really, a person to study for these particular episodes. If you get something out of our explainer panels, then please share them and then also join our Patreon. That would be great. We appreciate it. And we especially want to thank our $100 a month members, Vincent Peichel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and never last nor least, Jason Doolittle. And thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the Speaker of the House, as soon as I figure out how to put Reinhold into the chat here, Reinhold, how are you doing, buddy?
1: Doing all right. trying to remember how to turn off the mute button. That... <laughs>
0: That's okay. I know. I know. Yeah. I feel like I'm podcasting I'm, because I am podcasting like every couple of days at this point, because I've got this show, which doing the interviews once a week to make sure there's something in the feed, talk to interesting people, but then add in get back to our panel, current event panel shows like this. And then uh, I've been posting Liberty Explained and podcasting and platforms this couple of months. If you want to learn podcasting from me, then the pat down every week. And by the way, thanks to everybody who watched uh, Miss Pat Settles It on BET. If you're not familiar, I'm on a network television show. And that network is Black Entertainment Television, which Reinhold, I never thought that I would be on a BET show, let alone retweeted by BET. <laughs> I,
1: it wants new stars.
0: <laughs> I, I, it's very odd and, and, and interesting. It's not because I edit myself all the time. It's not weird to see myself on TV, but it was a surreal experience to go participate in the process. The production company are the folks that did Jersey Shore, do Jersey Shore. Fantastic people like how watch how they produce all this stuff and cut it together. It's super interesting. But I don't know. Have you watched the show? It's okay if you didn't. I understand.
1: No, I watched oh, the first couple episodes. Yeah, nice. I think I didn't see the next two this week yet. I was busy with work, but I did see the first. first. They set.
0: do have BET out where you live. My dad discovered that. <laughs> he texted me. It he goes, is, it is loud. We have BET in Putnamville. <laughs> but yeah, check it out. If you have, you can watch it on Hulu Live, YouTube Live, BT app. It's not on, on Philo. I think you can watch it on Philo. So check it out. Love your support. And if if you enjoy it, please go grab one of my reels on social media, share it, and tell people about it. It was cool to go to the Pat Down party. We had a big party with 500 people in Atlanta a couple weeks, Reinhold, and two or three people came up and said, hey, I'm a libertarian. Love your show. There's something about when somebody out in public says that they like this show, which is a lot smaller than the Pat Down. This is my baby, Reinhold. This is the thing we've done for 12 years. It's very cool to to meet people. So if you're one of the folks that came up and said that, I appreciate it. Reinhold, how are you doing? We haven't talked. You have a we, before we get to the speaker thing. You have a Dalmatian pack at your house. I don't know that we've ever talked about it on the show. You woke up one day and someone was having puppies and the puppies never stopped.
1: It was a uh, yeah. We, we rescue dogs, uh, but we we with all the medical stuff that's been going on, and for the last you know ten years, we keep trying to keep it simple. We have a couple here, a couple there. Uh, we'd taken in a couple of rescues. One of them, we were told that they were fixed, and uh, one night I was talking to my wife, and I looked over and realized they weren't fixed because one was giving birth to a puppy, and it was just like okay, and it's a. Uh, it's a, it a full purebred poodle. <laughs> and the father is a half husky, half pit bull. Standing so I'm standing over and I look over and I see the poodle is just standing there and she has something hanging out of her. And I'm like, what is going, What is that? And I looked and it was like, oh, that's a puppy. And then she started giving birth. And we ended up over the course of five hours having nine puppies. <laughs>
0: What do you, and have you been able to rehome any of them?
1: We rehomed two so far. We've got the other seven are here still. Uh, they're Is it just pandemonium, pandemonium in your old. house all the time? For the most part, yeah. We they have a lot of energy and they like to run around and jump and play. And luckily, yeah, I have
0: pit pit bull and husky. You've got a little bit of aggressiveness. You've got a little bit. You got a, and poodle. All that intelligence. That's quite yeah, quite a mix. They're
1: not aggressive dogs in any way. They would never bite anybody they are loving dogs they but they do like to play so they will chase each other and so getting them outside getting them outside once we got them with parvo shots and everything we have about we i have 20 acres they have plenty of room to run so they're outside right now just running around the house just full speed just to run off all their energy so, so they can come back in and not so do you want to rehome them family. i have the desire for that but my wife <laughs> does not <laughs> I've been, I've been overruled on that one
0: so. see this is why you may you need to become complimentarian you just say honey well, i'm reformed now and so now i'm the head of the household i watch this duggar documentary and let me show you this umbrella <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think it's gonna fly very well yeah i know So relationship <laughs> so let's talk about the speaker of the house we're gonna show you just a very short video first to show you what the speaker of the house actually does because i don't think a lot of people know it i don't quite know it which is why we're showing a video so i want to have somebody else speak from a position of knowledge here hang with us just here for a couple minutes as we play this video to explain exactly what the speaker of the house does and how much power they actually have
2: in september 2015 the current speaker of the house john boehner announced that he would be resigning
0: I should say this video is from Now This Originals and you can find it in the show notes. So I should
2: give credit to the actual YouTuber here. Everyone's surprised. His expected replacement, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, declared that he was dropping out of the race. The next most likely candidate, Congressman Paul Ryan, has repeatedly stated that he's not going to run. So what?
0: Yeah, this is an eight year old video, but here's the fundamentals of it. This is during the Obama administration. Paul Ryan would go on to be speaker. Mike McCarthy would be speaker. All that good stuff. Now we're getting to the
2: part where it explains a little more exactly is in many other countries. The role of speaker is also called the presiding officer. This person has a number of duties, but primarily they're supposed to moderate debate on the legislative floor. In the United States, its existence is delegated by Article 1 of the Constitution. And technically, anybody who Congress chooses can be the Speaker, including non-politicians. This role is also the highest-ranking legislative position, and comes second in the line of presidential succession. This means that if the President and Vice President die, the Speaker would become the President. But while the Speaker has certain ceremonial and administrative duties, their real job is deciding which bills are allowed to be discussed and voted on. In other countries, this role is intentionally given to a non-partisan member, so that political affiliation doesn't derail the ability to bring issues to the table. But in the United States, the Speaker is a hotly political and partisan role, which means that whoever holds it has the ability to shift focus along party lines. This is largely the result of the Speaker being selected by the majority party in the House, and they're expected to essentially represent their party. This is important when attempting to pass legislation in the face of majority shift. An example of this is how Congress rushed to pass Obamacare while Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat, was Speaker of the House. Had they waited until the congressional elections, Boehner would have been in power and certainly blocked the bill from reaching the floor. In 2013, when Obama wanted to pass funding for the Health Care Act, Boehner and other Republicans in the House literally shut down the entire government in protest. The Speaker also appoints a majority of the Rules Committee, which is considered one of the most powerful committees in Congress. Essentially, this committee decides exactly how the House can vote for a bill and under what rules to debate it. This has the power to shift a bill's intentions, and is usually aligned with the majority party and the Speaker. By dictating which bills are seen, and influencing the specifics of how the bills can be debated and voted on, the Speaker is an extremely powerful position. In some ways, it can even rival the presidency, but soon the position will be up for grabs.
0: That has that's part of what everybody has is freaked out about Reinhold with this new speaker, because the thing about Mike Johnson is that Mike Johnson's a true believer. Before we get to how we got here, the thing to highlight from that video is that the House speaker determines a lot of policy. They determine who gets appointed to committees. So if you remember from Mike McCarthy, gosh, Kevin McCarthy, I'm sorry, please, Reinhold, if I do it again, (laughs) that five years where I played fantasy football really messed me up because now I think of Mike McCarthy, the Dallas Cowboys coach. But Kevin McCarthy had to negotiate people onto the rules. The Freedom Caucus folks like Thomas Massey, there's two spots in the Rules Committee. What makes it to the floor? What actually gets passed? The Rules Committee, for instance, was used to pass Obamacare. Which they go on, we won't finish the video, but they talk about how the rules committee was used to pass Obamacare, if you remember the slaughter rule and and all that bad stuff. But the Speaker appoints people to committees, brings legislation to the floor, and has the ability to influence a lot of policy. Mike Johnson, I would say, is a true believer and one of the first true believers in House leadership and definitely in the Speaker's position. I listened to one podcast from the Federalist Reinhold, and they were rejoicing because it's the first social conservative to be in that role, maybe ever. So I'd have to look at the list of Speakers of the House, but Kevin McCarthy, John Boehner, Paul Ryan, Denny Hastert, all, all very Newt Gingrich, all very pragmatic people would have probably the professing Christian face uh, uh, say, "I believe these things. I read here. I, I revere the Constitution, but not necessarily the pedigree of this guy where he's like a constitutional lawyer, hosts a Bible study podcast. <laughs> like he he is full on social conservative and uh freedom caucus and he's basically like Jim Jordan without the heat. Is that how you would describe him? Yeah, I think
1: I think the best description I heard was Jim Jordan with a jacket and a smile. But
0: and without yeah. the antagonism.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, he's antagonistic but he tries to do it in a way that makes people
0: does the antagonistic, he just have like solid beliefs that he doesn't waffle on and that makes people mad.
1: He has solid beliefs. And I don't think it's so much that he has solid beliefs. It's that he's it. So when you talk about him being a constitutional lawyer and, and everything, you got to remember that a lot of his constitutional opinions have been struck down. Like he tried to, he, he was one of the architects of the Texas bill where they were trying to say that Texas was right were being violated because these other States elected people that they didn't like. Right. That was one of the tries to get, trump to stay in office by getting pennsylvania and georgia all those votes thrown out because texas was going to have their rights violated if they weren't thrown out and that's like if, you, if
0: you're listening to this show you're probably somewhat familiar but i guess the way to if you were to classify categorize him he's a big fan of david barton who is the historian that kind of goes but he wrote original intent and talks about how the founders were all christian and <laughs> Which was not the case. There was definitely Christian influence, significant Judeo-Christian values in the Constitution, but <laughs> like Jefferson and Fra- Franklin, no. And then Jay Sekulow, I think, would be another person if you know that name, who, who tries or tries to run like the Christian conservative alternative to the ACLU, fighting for religious freedom, and he worked for. What's the organization that Mike Johnson worked for forever? <laughs> You're muted. You're I, muted, and I'm coughing. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Excuse okay, me. Yeah, I,
1: I'm, not, I'm not sure what the organization. It
0: was the. Was it the uh, ADL, the American Defense League? They're the ones who have. They're the ones who have helped the Christian Baker in Colorado fight his case for religion. Yeah, I mean, it,
1: He's been involved in a lot of that. He's also been involved in a lot of the effort to try to keep Trump in power. He was on the Trump's defense team twice for the, the two impeachments because of that history and having that constitutional background.
0: Yeah, he wrote it was it's the Alliance Defending Freedom. The ADF is a significant nonprofit, like one hundred and four million dollars. They spend eighty one million dollars with a big endowment and they're like a constitutional, the libertarian, uh, it's not equivalent, but like Institute for Justice, for instance, that a lot of us would be familiar with goes and helps people like Kilo versus New Hampshire, in New Hampshire, where they got eminent domain, and then they went and helped them fight that or helping fight civil forfeiture. So for the ADF, they go and help defend religious freedom, they will fight. Against gay marriage, I think I'm 99% sure that I heard that they were behind the Dobbs decision, that they were the lawyers that basically fund these. So when you have these big cases, for instance, an individual can't go, as you heard in my episode with Jill Jacobson on civil asset forfeiture, an individual cannot go and pay to get to the Supreme Court to fight these decisions. And so organizations like ADF, the ACLU emily's list they go and they find cases that will help advance their policy through the courts and he was one of the lawyers he worked there for a decade or more helping write legislation helping write uh cases lawyer on these cases so he's not a dumb person he's an intellectual person who look he has biblical values and as i've lived i've listened to him Here's where I I agree with him. I agree with him on much of his. There's some things that he's far more extreme in terms of Christianity than I am and his conservatism. We have wild disagreements in terms of whether or not to use the government to enforce those values. When it comes to limited government, he says a lot of the right stuff, Reinhold. Does that play out (laughs) in terms of his policy? I haven't seen it.
1: When he says he's for limited government, he's not really for limited government. He's for limited government in areas that he believes the government should be limited. But He's also for a very powerful, centralized executive branch to enforce a lot of policies that he wants to be employed. He wants to outlaw gay marriage. He spent a lot of years working on that. He was one of the primaries involved in that. He thinks homosexuals should be arrested.
0: And he was critical of a Burger fell, which overturned so- mm-hmm. the sodomy laws in Texas. Which right. Like what?
1: He, he, he wrote three bills for national abortion bans. So when you hear people, a lot of the people in his circle, when these things were getting passed, when we had things like Roe v. Wade, when we had Oberfell, we had all these things that were being pushed nationally. Their argument was we should have federalism; the states should be able to decide on these things, not the federal government but as soon as they see that they have a, an opportunity they immediately switch gears and go into we want a national statement on this we want national bans we want national this we want national. so the, there are all, anyone saying that federalism is the way to go when you look at somebody in the GOP you can pretty much tell that's mostly well, it's the
0: it's like the Mike Pence argument that we talked about in the Republican debate episode where he you know, there's a significant debate on the stage between the candidates about whether or not there should be a federal ban on abortion. And half the people on the stage, most of the people on the stage said there's a 10th Amendment of the Constitution. And we as Republicans have been screaming about that since Obama in in the Tea Party. So why would we violate the state's rights with an abortion ban? And Mike Pence said, because it's murder. And I think Tim Scott agreed with him. So you can't. If if it's murder and we believe that it's murder, then why wouldn't we have a federal ban on murder, which we don't have a federal ban on murder?
1: <laughs> so well, there's no law against murder at the moment.
0: So which, if you're like Timothy McVeigh killing federal agents, then, yeah, there is. But so that's where he really does remind me a lot of Mike Pence. He reminds me of I, I've been listening to his podcast the last couple of days. Truth be told. And one episode was like with a luminary from the Heritage Foundation, which has gone full Trump wacko. I loved the Heritage Foundation when Edwin Meese was in charge of it. Have my heritage guide to the Constitution over here and have read it and, and enjoyed it. But it's definitely a different organization post Trump for sure. Full election denial. Forever. They kept this record for 20 years of how few elections were stolen. And how hard it is to steal an election. And then Trump came along and now they're pro-election stealing. It's just, it's a bizarre thing. And Mike Johnson definitely buys into that and was the legal, what what was the argument you alluded to it, but maybe we could dive into it. He gives a speech, his acceptance speech, for lack of a better term, accepting the speakership, saying God selects our leaders but then wrote the legal opinions to justify the overturning of the election in 2020, which doesn't make any sense.
1: All right. He, so he, he believes in more of a, the government. I've heard this from Rand Paul two years, a, a years ago, decades ago, that the, the first amendment protects government from dictating religion, but doesn't prevent people from using government to, to,
0: Advanced so there, religious a, causes. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a one it's a one way thing in their mind, not a two way thing.
0: In one um, of the episodes on religious liberty, he was a driving force behind the recent Supreme Court upholding school prayer where the coach was praying on the sidelines and was fired for doing that, which to me is unconscionable. Like why wouldn't a yeah, coach be allowed to play with pray with his prayers? Which
1: wasn't exactly in presented in the accurate way. It wasn't exactly what happened, but the
0: But his point, just to finish my interruption before we yeah. get back to you, is that he was a driving force for that. ADF was a big driving force for that. He And his argument in the podcast is that you're you, – you, I don't believe him when he says we shouldn't have a Christian society. I, I don't think he's like full-on Doug Wilson who wants theonomy, who wants Christian 2.0 – where we need a purely Christian government, a Christian prince, Christian monarchy, right? He's a Christian Republican, right? Where they want a Christian government that is like the Republican constitutional structure and one that enhances and respects Christian values while also being liberal and allowing other people, allowing the key word being uh, there, to exercise their religion to exercise their freedom of speech their freedom of association but the driving cultural force needs to be christian Mm -hmm. so not using the government to advance christian ideas but then when you look at the practice reinhold of not wanting a burger fell and these other things it's that's where the argument falls apart it does become a bit theonomist yeah, I, d- I don't think I,
1: I agree with that. He doesn't want that. I think he, he does want that. I think he says he doesn't when it becomes politically and, you know expedient to say that. Right. So he had years and years of saying that gay marriage shouldn't be allowed. And he, he worked on cases to prevent it from happening and things like that. And then he gets elected to speaker, goes on to um Sean Hannity show and I don't even remember most of those comments I don't feel that way now he, he starts walking all of that back right but he's also a supporter of project 2025 which is exactly that it's building a monarchy an executive branch monarchy and violating every aspect of the constitution principles that most republicans espoused for years so that's it's just an interesting to see what you watch what people say, then you watch what they do, and you can see from what they do that what they're saying isn't exactly what they feel in their hearts or what they're wanting to implement behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, this is a huge debate on the right again, and it was forever. And then there seemed to be a truce on social issues. Not and anymore. <laughs> not anymore. And here's why, okay? Because when you look at where the Republican Party is going in order to survive, You have to look at the culture, all right? So when you look at political trends, the Democratic Party has most who identify with a minority group vote Democrat, and it's a coalitional party. And so I I don't need to elaborate, but it's made up of all these different groups. So when Joe Biden gets elected president, he has to select people from identity groups to satisfy those coalitions to maintain enough coalition so because of his full-throated embrace of israel he has permanently lost the muslim coalitions and the various groups <laughs> go look at the internet i don't know no, they're, no, gonna, look, they're I, not we'll gonna just, go we'll, vote for trump reinhold but right, they're, they're saying, not gonna yeah. be enthusiastically supporting biden at this point i don't
1: know anybody who enthusiastically supports biden or ever has. <laughs> yeah whereas enthusiastically against the other side,
0: but then Muslim ban comes along, and do you really want to risk it with him again? Then you have the Republicans, which has always been ideologically driven. And we've said this on the show for years. The ideological bent of the Republican Party was fusionism. It was fusing libertarianism with conservative Christians and constitutionalism and supporting in a significant way America's foreign policy of Protecting the new world order, being the world's policeman, and being militarily aggressive overseas. And then Trump comes along, and Trump basically shows everybody that look, Democrats have minority groups, which are growing, and they have college educated whites, which is a huge part of millennials. What's your base? Your base is rural Americans. And they're largely the ones serving in the military, which means they're largely anti-war. And then they're also culturally conservative. And when you pass a tax cuts bill, for instance, which how long did we hear from Paul Ryan and Republicans tax cuts? Why don't Republicans talk about that anymore? Because Trump's tax cuts didn't affect any of the voters of the Republican base anymore. And so talking about tax cuts, doesn't excite the base because it doesn't impact them at all it may impact the people that are donating to republican candidates but it doesn't actually impact the voters what do they care about they care about as tucker carlson said this week leaving the world that they remember to their kids and they care about fighting the culture war issues trans issues abortion issues they they're Christian nationalism is really I look at it as a Christian and go you're never going to save anybody with the government a government can't be a moral force for good because it is inherently coercive it uses force to make people do things and enforce morality and there will always be blowback from that and you are further from your goal of saving someone's soul when you are using force." versus persuasion you are creating disharmony and robbing people of uh, their free will when you're using government to create culture when you're using government to create any kind of heart issue anything that involves compassion it's the same foolishness reinhold as trying to use the government for compassionate purposes big government programs are not as effective as neighbors helping neighbors. And so you can't use the government to to produce these outcomes, right? So you may believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, but I don't think you can look back at the last 20 years and say by fighting that argument that it was good for the Republican Party, it was good for the evangelical church, and it brought about the outcomes that you were looking for. All it did is drive you further and make you more culturally irrelevant and put you out of touch from the people that you're trying to quote unquote help. So I think church and state should be separate. I think Jesus is central to my politics. It's why I look at this war and I go, I'm not for either of these sides. I look at how the how Israel's prosecuting the war and shutting off all the food and water and aid to the people that didn't bomb them and didn't cut off babies' heads or whatever, right? Uh, It's Hamas, who is living in Morocco and Jordan and in in palaces or under bunkers, under hospitals, who have all the food and medicine. And I'm certainly not pro-Hamas in any way, shape, or form, and I can't believe that people are. It's the dehumanization of people that robs It's like when you pick a team in this particular fight, we're going to be pro-Israel and we're never going to say a negative word about how they prosecute the war. As Christians, you're denying the Imago Dei and the inherent value of Palestinian innocents that are being killed. And if you're just blindly pro-Palestinian, you're denying (laughs) what happened to Israelis and the awfulness that was. So... It's when you put your faith first and really look at politics through the lens of the Imago Dei that we are all created in the image of God and therefore are all due dignity and respect and love, and I would add liberty in in many cases, then it changes your politics and it makes you go, I don't want to use force on people. I want to actually help people and build in the community as opposed to trying to change culture from the top which doesn't work reinhold and even
1: preventing culture from changing from the top is which is really what's going on here you got a group of people and this has been the culture for when people talk about culture wars we've had culture wars going on for thousands of years because what happens is you get one group of people who is trying to see changes in culture and advance that forward to be accept more acceptable and getting ahead of the curve as it were and then you've got people who see culture changing and want to pull it back and prevent it from changing. So you've got that tug at each other. And that's really where the idea of the, in the culture side of things, you've got the left and the right. And then you've got the economic side of things where you have people who want to have a more a progressive stance on the economics. And you have people who are more of a conservative say, hey, people up your own boat bootstraps and take care of yourself and take care of your neighbor you don't need the government to do this and then you've got people who are saying that's not working we have all this problems we need to do something and they can't figure out what to do so they they use the tools that they see and around them and, and what they have available and that's where they go on their end that's the the basics of what's going on in politics right now but it used to be that the and, and there was a study done recently that it used to be that Republicans were driven by economics, and you still see them trying to do that when you hear these talks in the fight over the speaker when McCarthy was there. What they were wanting to have um, all these bills that are supposed to help bring down the debt, bring down the the deficit, and yeah. $3 $3 $3, million, $3 trillion cuts in Medicaid and $2, million, $2 billion in Medicare. And that's going to save everything, except the people who are dependent on those programs are going to scream and yell because you don't have anything in place to replace it. When, when you say the, the society should take care of it on its own, we should take care of our own brothers and sisters and our neighbors. Those programs aren't there yet. Yeah. So they're wanting to cut these programs and then, Hope that things just work, and that's not going to make anybody feel comfortable or happy about that. And you're going to lose the people who are dependent on those programs. You talk about cutting Social Security. That's why they're not talking about cutting Social Security very much, and why Trump is against it because he knows it's a political nightmare.
0: The it, it goes to that head, base you know? that they had, they need for survival.
1: So they're trying to draw. They're trying to balance that line where they say we need to take care of the debt because that's what people want us to do, but we need to do this in a way that doesn't affect our our side very much but you get back into the culture side of things you've got you've got a huge fight going on in in the republican party and i really think that it's gonna have to come to a head soon because it has gotten really bad and that's why i wanted to talk a little bit about the lead up to where we are now and how we got um johnson as a speaker yeah because it wasn't like an overwhelming hey this is our guy because
0: i before we switch i want to crush satan has some comments here and you're more than welcome to comment in the live stream or if you have a comment please go back to chrisspangle.com on this episode and leave one there he says he or she says doesn't the bible support the idea of government yes it absolutely does it makes it very clear that christians are supposed to respect their leaders romans 13 obviously is key there's a lot of libertarians who try to take romans 13 and dismantle it to say let's be anarchist I'm not an anarchist, I do think there will always be government and it should be a tool for justice and it should be, you want godly rulers, but you will see time and time again, you will not have godly rulers. You will have Saul. Even the godly rulers like David were not godly when they were in power because power absolutely corrupts. And while we have to respect government authority, as much as I hate to say that, it is part of God's structure to to mediate justice, Uh, that's where I think the government should stop, (laughs) is making sure that there is justice for people who are murdered, who are stolen from, who are defrauded. I don't think that the government is uh, a moral force for good when it takes from one group of people to give to another, nor do I think from a utilitarian perspective that it is effective which is why I believe his second comment, maybe it's best to create an attractive culture. So how do you create an attractive culture? You don't do it through government. Who looks at the Republican party and says, that's a culture I want to be a part of. You do it by engaging culture. You do it by being a Christian force for good through business, through civil society, through art, through writing. And, Giving a good Christian witness, and there's a meme that people will sometimes post, that you're the only Bible that most people will read. That's especially true in a post-Christian Western context, where it's very difficult to walk up to somebody and say, here's a Bible, would you like to read it with me? It's better if you're just displaying the fruits of the Spirit. You're gentle, you're kind, you're creating a culture where people are respected, where People are shown dignity. People. uh, That's why I just disagree with so much of Christian broadcasting that either is Pentecostal that displays wackiness and unbiblical practices, or what's developed on YouTube, which is this theonomy, hard right, I don't like Mark Driscoll. He's always trying to be provocative, to tick people off, to grow his social media, right? Not to save people, not to create a Christian culture. He ends up creating a culture, but it is a culture of guys who think that it is really good to just poke people in the eye. It's a big reason I don't support the Libertarian Party in its current form. It is inflammatory and unchristian in the way that it goes about creating culture. I think the church I go to, Redeemer Presbyterian, does a great job. It has an art, it has an not a, just an art museum, but also artists have space and the church does a great job of engaging artists to create all these really beautiful, cool things for the city from first Fridays to book talks to trunk or treats at the poorer neighborhoods around town where it's not talking down to people. It's not disrespectful. It's saying, look, you're not a Christian. You're not, you're not, maybe you're even hostile to Christianity. We don't care about your politics. Let's just be friends. It's relational evangelism. It's meant to connect with each other one-on-one because that is how in our environment, you're going to connect to people. People are incredibly lonely. And when you connect to them on a heart level, you're going to be more effective. Chris Satan says an appealing culture where people actually want to take part. Isn't that usually a big part of culture? Look at Japan, the Shinto culture. Was Paul off base when he called those who bear the sword on behalf of government ministers of God? I have not thought about that on a theological level to give you an answer that would be acceptable. So I don't want to speak on something that I haven't thought about. (laughs) So catch me next time and maybe we can talk offline. You're more than welcome to email me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But I don't want to get into biblical interpretation if I have not studied it. So that's uh, I don't do political interpretation if I have not studied it. And I'm not going to do that with religion either. So Reinhold, let's talk about what this says about the Republican Party. Let's talk a little bit about the path to get here, because if you want to go way back, you've got Newt Gingrich, who was really effective and really changed government and politics in a huge way. And then got tossed out for being a cheater, cheated on his wife, traditional family values and all that. I forget who followed him. It may have been a, I don't know who took over for him when he resigned. Do you I think it was, it was, it was in like 98 during the Clinton impeachment. Not I trying not remember if the Democrats ended up taking over at
1: that point. Cause I know the Democrats finally came in, but I'm. Yeah, Don't remember if there was sure some
0: temporary, and then Tom Delay in the '90s, 2000s, early 2000s specifically was the hammer was incredibly powerful as a House Majority Whip and Minority Whip, but he wasn't Speaker of the House. They selected somebody who was just a genial, uh, nice person who everybody got along with, and that was Denny Hastert, who's also a child molester in jail for a child molestation. So DeLay wasn't chosen because DeLay was seen as too controversial, too much of a legislative terrorist, and so they put in Hastert because he would be fair to Democrats, he would be fair to Republicans, and he'd be specifically fair to all the different coalitions within the Republican Party, like the social conservatives, the libertarians, the war hawks, etc.,
1: I mean, the history of the speaker has changed a lot over the years. so originally it was meant to be just like an administrative head of the government of the house so it it didn't really have a partisan bent to it right and then in the early 1900s speaker cannon is was in charge and he basically started consolidating power into the hands of the of the speaker where he started getting too much power and taking all the power away from the committees, taking all the power away from all the individual House members, and the House kind of rebelled against that and stripped him a lot of that power. And then in the seventies, you start having people like Tip O'Neill, Jim Wright, Tom Foley; those guys start seeing that the Speaker can be used more as a, a used better and more centralized power as a tool, and start kind of consor- consorting that power a little bit. But when Newt Gingrich came in, he really changed. Changed the game a lot he's he really yeah. started using the speaker in the position that we start to see today
0: he started to do what really lbj st- lbj did in the senate which was yeah. use the power of leadership to punish members when they didn't do what he wanted to line to whip votes in a more serious manner new would use earmarks to control members of congress He, any
1: positions are big, rules can, rules, that sort of thing. Those are the huge things that he gained a power, consolidated power for. And that's how we got to where we are. But at the time, uh, so we didn't have too much of an antagonistic between the two parties like we do today. It was a lot more congenial at that level, right? When you get into the Senate and the House and the leaderships and things like that, people would work together because they had to work together to get anything done. If they didn't get anything done, then they were seen by their constituents as not doing anything, as being. Uh, a waste of time. Why are, you, why are we sending you to government if you're not getting anything done? That we we want these things done, and you're not doing anything. So in order to get anything done, they have to work together, and everybody's understood that until today. The yeah. the, the people in charge of the Republican very small majority in the House, which should have been larger, but it isn't because of this, are a our way or the highway type of. Per- group because they don't care if the government gets shut down
0: that really so when you look at this kind of one they're desires. so let me finish the evolution because this has been bubbling up for a long time so you have delay who is that that i'm not going to say far right because every time the new york times says hard right or far i roll my eyes but further harder conservative more maybe more principled maybe a little bit more less moderate i guess is how you'd put it And couldn't be Speaker. So then Democrats take over Nancy Pelosi was Speaker for a long time and intermittent with uh, John Boehner. John Boehner was a thorn in the side of people like Newt Gingrich and Denny Hastert, part of the 94 class. And John Boehner was always seen as a bomb thrower. And then he became the establishment and had to be gotten rid of because he was still running the Speakership the way that Newt Gingrich ran it. So... John Boehner used to be Jim Jordan, right? Which a lot of people forget. And then along comes, so he gets kicked out during Obama because he had a nice conversation with Barack Obama, and that was just intolerable. And then Paul Ryan becomes the speaker after he really didn't want to become speaker. He had been the vice presidential candidate under Mitt Romney. He was well-respected. He was a strong Reagan conservative, tax cuts for everybody we need to worry about the deficit, that kind of thing. Um, and was too much of a deal maker, so he gets kicked out. Nancy Pelosi takes over. So when they come back, then that's how you end up with Kevin McCarthy, because they've run everybody out or lost. So you get put in this position with Kevin McCarthy, where he has to agree to this package, which you can go and listen to the episode on Kevin McCarthy if you want to hear it, all the details, but he agrees to this package where. You always could have one member of Congress say, I want to get rid of this person. It was never used, but it was used against Kevin McCarthy because Matt Gates hates him. And the majority of the, the majority for Republicans was four votes. They thought they were going to blow it out of the water, but then the Dobbs decision happens and people vote against Republicans because the culture is largely pro abortion. And then they end up with a four-vote margin. And so he's basically held hostage <laughs> by the Freedom Caucus, which used to be people like Thomas Massey and Justin Amash and and even guys similar to the current speaker, Mike Johnson. But somewhere along the way became like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gaetz, Lauren Boebert, who are distinctly different than... Justin Amash, who is one of the smartest people in politics, Thomas Massey, who is one of the smartest people in politics and has real political beliefs, real foundational principles. You may not like them, but they actually know what they believe, like Mike Johnson, etc. And over the last decade, it's evolved into showmanship. Jim Jordan with his rolled up sleeves going on television screaming about morality when he's got some horrible things in his past that he overlooked molestation as a coach, Matt Gates, Bobert, these are people who are simply in congress to grow their following on Twitter. They they may be useful tools at some point, but they It's funny now Reinhold to see like Matt Gates and all these people going. This is what we wanted all along. It's No, you and the Democrats voted to get rid of, of Kevin McCarthy because you didn't like Kevin McCarthy and he wasn't a trusted person. You had no idea that you would end up with somebody that was close to your values.
1: I think that they, they were they were pegging their hopes on Trump. Because what, you, what we have to understand about what happened over the past three weeks is Trump's fingerprints all over it. And a lot of people don't want to admit this or or see it or even talk about it. I don't see it talked about too much. But remember when the first start talking about who was going to take over, we had Scalise come in there and he was going to he was going to be the candidate and everybody voted for him. And all of a sudden, three hours later, he's pulled out of the race. (laughs) Same thing happened to Emmer. right? Yeah. And the reason why that happened is because when they made this, when they made the vote, they thought, okay, we got a guy in here that everybody's okay with. We we probably get this guy through, maybe, etc. In the conferences when they had their discussions, which I I hear were very heated, a lot of times they were almost fist, blow, you know, thrown all occasion. But they came out with that 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 a name, and then they got a phone call. People started getting phone calls from Trump saying, "This isn't the guy I want in there." Yeah, he, Trump wants somebody in here who's his guy because that's his that's his vision for his next president, getting back into the presidency. It's really the driving force behind Project 2025 is they want everybody to take a loyalty pledge to him. Yeah, His guy's in there. Every person in the executive branch of the government is going to, ha- in this case, this Project 2025, is going to have to pass a loyalty test to him as opposed to being loyal to the the constitution.
0: Why is Vladimir Putin dictator of Mm -hmm. Russia? Okay. Because Boris Yeltsin needed to find somebody that would pledge not to prosecute him when he was, when he left the presidency. So as his health was failing, he found Vladimir Putin who promised him that he would not prosecute him for corruption. And he didn't. And Yeltsin spent his last couple of years not being prosecuted and going to jail. Donald Trump is running for president so he can become president to pardon himself and to pardon everybody else who didn't flip on him. <laughs> if you flipped on him, then you're not. You're. It's going to be nothing but Donald Trump's personal retribution. The government will not operate for four years, which may be the libertarian argument for him. And if you like I, chaos. I, I was- If you like rule of law and you like competent stability for economic growth, then you're that kind of libertarian like us.
1: Fairness and justice, that's all out the window. Right.
0: That which is what we buy. But if you're just a collapsitarian, then he's your guy. Which is hilarious about all the me like all you guys are just you're not gonna vote for Michael Rechtenwald or whoever you even put up. You're gonna vote for Donald Trump. That's who they're going to vote for.
1: Yeah. So. And the funny thing is, too, is that the collapsitarians are like, oh, we get rid of them. We don't have any government. I was like, do you think your life's going to be any better in this political climate, in this society, with this culture, that if we didn't have a government protecting your rights, do you think you're going to come out good on the end of that? Yeah. Because it's not going to happen. You think yeah. you, people are calling for an Article 5 convention and we're going to do this. I'm like, you think you get Second Amendment out of that? That never comes out of that convention if you call that. Yeah, that's sort of thing is going to happen. And you got to be careful about that because that's not where the culture is today. If you can't win the government control, you can't on your win a ideas, local race. Yeah, if you can't win government control and your ideas as they are right now. So you think you have to collapse the government in order to get that? You just need to convince a few people and you can gain control. Now, you try to collapse the government and then say, OK, now it's going to be this way. There's everybody around you who believes differently is just going to tell you no, and it's just yeah. not going to happen that way.
0: But so, yeah, getting back. So it's re- recapping the last three weeks, Kevin McCarthy gets tossed out. We did a show on that. You can go listen to all the details on that. And then obviously the next person up was Steve Scalise who was in the running and had been floating the idea of being speaker. And then Steve Scalise bows out. Yeah. He-
1: He was talked about when McCarthy was first having his issues getting in there. He was the guy that people were looking to because he's we think you should be the guy. He's the second in in command, as it were. He was kind of McCarthy's guy. But
0: did he drop out uh, because he just didn't have the votes or was there what was the main objection? I
1: think he was told you will not win because Trump doesn't want you to be be the speaker. Therefore, all of these guys who line up behind Trump will never vote for you.
0: Because what you have to realize about most of the Republican conference is they don't believe the election was stolen. They don't believe that Donald Trump should be president, but they can't tell the truth because they have to win their next round. They don't want to be primaried <coughs> and they don't want Matt but, Gates to go on his podcast and tell all their secrets. And then so Donald Trump all, is all still like, out the window. Yeah,
1: because they all end up voting for Mike Johnson. It's it's Dave doomed themselves to not having power in 2024.
0: And we'll explain why in a minute, but because there's big stuff coming up. So then Scalise bows out. And who was after Scalise? It was Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan was was
1: because, yeah, Jim and Scalise were running against each other. And then all of a sudden Scalise pops out. So now it's just Jim Jordan and nobody. And there was a couple there was somebody who floated his name. At the last second, I think Scott was his name. I, it, it was just like, oh, we just need to have somebody on the ballot so we can do it. It was that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah but Jim Jordan was the guy that McCarthy really wanted, not Matt Gates really wanted, and Trump through Gates. So they were all lined up for Jordan. But the problem is that there are people who are no dead set against Jordan. Because he's of a reasons. jerk. Well, you, you use better words than I use, but nicer words. um He's literally, I think, the lowest of the pond scum in, the, in in an institution that is full of pond scum. He's like the lowest. of the So low. you're not Hinden a fan Comer are not people who it, I would even sit in a room with.
0: If you're new to the show, Reinhold's basically progressive Democrat. He's basically in the DSA, the Democratic Socialist America. How was the Free Palestine Rally? Oh yeah, the joke's funny, but (laughs) he's not. He's a libertarian. I just love to tease him. But no, I've been accused uh, of being a
1: Democrat 30 times this past week. Trust me. I know.
0: know. So Jim Jordan can't get it through because he's just ticked off too many people. Uh, And then they go to Emmer, who was the was he the whip of the house? He's got somewhat of one of the roles of the speaker that we haven't mentioned is that you're supposed to be able to raise a lot of money. Kevin McCarthy raised a ton of money. Nancy Pelosi raised a ton of money. So how does the speaker have power and lord that power over their basically their members? It's by saying, I'm not going to fundraise for you anymore. And Emmer had an operation and connections in Washington, D.C., but he wasn't for he never has and won't admit that the election was stolen. And so that is the ultimate litmus test for Donald Trump. He knows it's completely ridiculous. He knows that the election was not stolen. There may be moments and flashes where he actually buys his own BS. Everybody else knows the election was not stolen, except for people who have been bamboozled by this propaganda and people like Dinesh D'Souza because they're doing it for their own personal gain. But 150 lawsuits and reality disagree with you. And that's why it's called the big lie, because if we can get you to publicly humiliate yourself by admitting that this big lie was reality, then we've captured you. And people like Mike Johnson and Jim Jordan and these other Republicans, they've been captured. They've ethically are compromised because they are publicly trying to dissolve the rule of law in this country. And Emmerich, I'm. It was Emmer and Emmer Emmer. Emmer refused to do it. So therefore he Trump bragged about sinking him this week. Yeah.
1: yeah. So the problem with Emmer is he he didn't vote for when it came up on January sixth when they were trying to knock out those States, he was ones, he was one of the ones who did not vote for a lot of the, this decertifications he voted to certify. He voted. I think he had a voted for a continuing resolution. He voted for keeping government open, that sort of thing. All things that, are tools for the mega groups to say, the populace to say, we don't want that. So, so it's, those were red lines that he crossed. You can't say these things. You can't do yeah. these things. These are not approved. And Trump didn't like him, didn't like that because he knew that he wasn't going to be able to use him like he wants to be used. And even though Emmer tried, he's, oh, I love Trump. And he had a picture of himself with Trump in, in his office while he's doing this, this speech, an interview or whatever. And so he was trying to make overtones and say, hey, I'm a Trump guy even though he's not really, but you got to play the game. You got to play at the feet of the person who's king, right? That's what they're doing. That's what they've turned the party into is a party of personality, a culture of personality. It's you. That's how populist movements work. You have that personality that drives it. You have, when we had pro pro was that personality who drove the reform party. And then as soon as he's not doing it anymore, it falls apart. Same thing's going to happen to the GOP. Eventually, Trump won't be there anymore, one way or another. And that movement's going to fall apart on itself. And it's probably going to fall apart sooner than later. But that's why Emmer was still trying to suck up to Trump. And it didn't work. Trump was, he's not having a good week last week anyway
0: mm-hmm.
1: for, for various reasons. He said the, no.
0: I'll see if I can find the clip because it's so funny. It's just pure Trump. But. You know he's then eight or nine guys get into the race and somehow we end up with okay here's the clip let me see if i can pull this in quickly well, well, and smoothly there,
1: there's some things that happened just while you're looking for that that happened in between some of these things is that they were having such trouble getting somebody to to win because jordan was failing jordan wasn't getting past because he wasn't there so they started floating the idea of giving the current speaker pro tem Provisional powers to be speaker until January. So give us some time, give the Republicans some time to come up with a candidate. And then that didn't work. So when Emmer drops out, then they start talking about a possible McCarthy Jordan co speaker
0: <laughs> type of thing. And everybody was just like, what? Yeah, the M- heck McCarthy is this? kept <laughs> sniffing around. McCarthy kept trying to get back in on the mm-hmm. action. Here, this speaks to the base thing that we were talking about in the last segment.
1: I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is Jesus Christ. <laughs> if Jesus came down and said, I want to be speaker, he would do it. Other than that, I haven't seen I haven't
0: seen anybody that can guarantee it. But at some point, I think we're gonna, we're gonna have somebody pretty soon. Yeah, as if it's his decision. <laughs> no, he yeah, and it was.
1: He's put out like when Emmer got tanked, he was putting out on social true social, whatever it says. Yeah, they can't. I said he wasn't good. And within an hour, he's dropped out of the race. I did that. I, I think you know, he said I killed bragging. him. Yeah. I think and then I he did this with Johnson. He's like, I like Johnson. Johnson's because he's, he's at the trial. So he has this pulpit that he's in New York. He, he's going out to the press and trying to talk to them all the time and having his little media events, meanwhile, complaining that the government's trying to turn it into a media event. Hilariously, side note. But that's when he was saying, yeah, you yeah, that's when he was pushing for his guy to get in there. And that's how Johnson out of those eight people who are running, they all started falling away because it was starting to coalesce around the guy that, that Trump and the MAGA.
0: Okay. So John, Johnson, Trump was the one that was pushing for Mike Johnson. Yep. Okay. All right. Cause I wondered how he emerged because I'd never heard of him before.
1: Yeah. He's a Trump guy. He, he was on Trump's defense team twice. He was the author of the, the Texas amicus brief trying to get that, passed through. He, he was one of the prime, him and Jordan were like the kind of the leaders behind the scenes of it, or Jordan was more of the face of it, but Johnson was behind the scenes trying to do all of the, all those lawsuits you talked about with Trump. He was part of some of those. He, he was directing a lot of the, those questions about it, which is going to be curious if he gets drawn up into the, the overthrow lawsuits or the suits that are going on now and the trials, but you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but That would be funny to see. But the, that's, he's known in that circle as being keep Trump in office kind of guy. So that's obviously. Well, if Trump picked
0: him, then yeah, but there's also probably somebody who whispered in his ear and said, I I wonder who that was. Trump doesn't have original ideas.
1: No, he, he, I'm sure he was called and told, hey, this is, he's got people he listens to, very few who really, he really listens to appropriately, but he, um, (laughs) there are phone calls being made and he was wanting to say, okay, he, I, I imagine he, when all this started going down and Jordan was getting kicked out and the chaos was looking, it was looking bad for Republicans. It still looks bad for him, but that, that mess of trying to pick a speaker for weeks and then trying to blame the Democrats for it, that doesn't make them look good to the point where there was a clip I had talked to you, I talked to you about earlier in a week where I think Jake Tapper was interviewing one of the, leading Republicans and they start going into the, it's really hard between every, you know, there's a lot of division between the, the people in the conference. And we're trying to have a lot of this and it, it, all the internal fighting inside of it. And Jake Tapper just says, "We nobody cares. We really <laughs> just don't care. Get something done. That, that was, they were looking really bad. Can so I at just, that point, I'm sure Trump I, said, Hey, what do I need to do? Who do we I, need to get in
0: here? And I don't it. think Trump thinks about, I don't, he saw an opportunity is what i think uh, yeah okay I, I just we need to get something done why doesn't washington do anything i just hate that i don't <laughs> Your cocktail washington dc why aren't we getting things done ass does not it does not move me anyway like we just have to like we you, you the biggest things that are going to be coming up d- Joe Biden is floating a hundred million dollar pack, a hundred billion dollar package for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan. So of course, Janet Yellen will soon be on TV saying, "Yeah, we can print enough money for three wars." And they also have a November seventeenth deadline to renew the funding of the government. And the whole caucus has been the reason Kevin McCarthy got kicked out, other than Matt Gates's need for attention and revenge against Kevin McCarthy was that he supposedly worked with the Democrats to fund the government through omnibus and omnibus instead of the traditional regular order. So Matt Gates worked with the Democrats to then kick Kevin McCarthy out. And so you've got the funding of the government coming up next month. And you still have the rule. Mike Johnson agreed, because he had no leverage to get rid of it, Mike Johnson agreed to the rule that one member can get rid of him. What happens if now Mike Johnson is on record on Sean Hannity in his interview saying he's for he is for funding Ukraine. He's for funding Israel. He is suspicious of where the money is going in Ukraine, but he's basically all on board with giving Taiwan, Ukraine and Israel as much money as they want, which is go- not going to sit well with the Matt Gates folks who have said no funding for Ukraine ever then you've got the funding of the government and then you've got to fund the government through regular order. And there's enough Democrats to screw you on that. So what do you do if the government shuts down and they don't fund the government for six months, which the Democrats would be happy to do to get a super majority in the house in in 2024? So what if like Kevin McCarthy, Mike Johnson says, you know what? A a slightly bad bill is better than a worse bill. And this is what's funny, is Matt Gates was against Kevin McCarthy, who was against funding Ukraine. And that's why he worked the deal out with the Democrats and, and the Senate to pass that omnibus bill, because he was trying to give less funding or no funding to Ukraine, where Mike Johnson's probably going to be more pro funding Ukraine it it just all of these things don't make any sense so Mike Johnson could be a very short speaker who is a very controversial within the House Republican caucuses because he could sink the whole thing to make the further right folks happy and make the moderates mad and then want to remove him which I don't think they're going to do because they voted for him because the moderates care about Jake Tapper's opinion and so that's why they never get anything done Jim Jordan was the first time that I've seen a moderate Republican in Washington, D.C. take a stand. They usually fold like a card table. So, Who was the moderate Republican? That's what Joe Emmer, for instance. Or is it Joe Emmer? I, I, my brain says Joe. But Emmer basically is considered a moderate. And why? Because You're he right. doesn't want to steal the election. He you, didn't think the election You said
1: Jordan. Right. You said Jordan and moderate. I was just trying to... Consult
0: no. those. Can no, Jordan, those brain. <laughs> Jordan was sunk because the moderates said, Never, Jordan. Oh, okay. I'm never right, Jordan. So, yeah. they, they weren't. Oh, I think the, the media is mad at us. Uh, the media is mad at us for not having a speaker, and Israel just happened. And so maybe we all should just vote for Jim Jordan, guys. That's usually what they do. This time they said, No, this guy. It, it wasn't
1: that he, it wasn't just that he was a populist right wing nut job, it was that he was a terrible human being who was also a Bible right wing nut job. That's what Jim Jordan was never going to get those, at least those people to vote for him. I don't think Mike Johnson is ideologically similar to, to Jim Jordan. Uh, a few differences here and there, but he definitely wasn't as hated. He's a nicer presenting guy. He's so definitely that's, uh, yeah, that's a person
0: of better character. <laughs> He's yeah. a person that is, although, Likes to work with people.
1: You would think that the far right would be ecstatic right now. They're not. Have you heard about the right wing backlash against Johnson?
0: No, I haven't.
1: So I I talked to you a little bit about this uh, 50 days ago, a little bit in the chat, but Mike Johnson has this story about having a son that he adopted before his four children were born. It was a 14 year old black kid. And he brought him in. His name is mm-hmm. Michael. Very similar story. <laughs> Very but but he's, he maintains this and he has talked about. It. But one thing he did was when they were talking about what happened with, with George Floyd, he made the statement that he was outraged. He felt that this was obviously murder. If you look at it, Chauvin should be you know punished for it. And he also then stated that seeing what his son, his two sons have gone through, he sees that challenges are are. Different for his black son, he, the, his black son is going to see a different challenges in life. So than basically he son said has. with
0: David French. Right. This is what the beginning of the hate for David French, right. who is I, I don't I think it's ab, when somebody says they hate David French and they bag on him. I, I think it's hilarious. OK, so he's mad so that he, said, he calls you out.
1: Yeah, so because of that, he, he's basically saying there needs to be some institutional changes in order to get rid of those imbalances. Basically saying institutional yeah. racism is a thing and that Chauvin should be what was committed murder. So Matt Walsh immediately says, here's a clip of this new GOP speaker saying this is horrible. So it's even worse than it looks when you see the full context. He's objectively an act. He, he's saying that this was an act of murder when it wasn't. It was Chauvin was overdosed. And why are we doing this? And he's I taking had this argument. Some ago. Did
0: you not see the nine minute video of the man's knee on his neck? Yeah. So it, it, it's not so. Let's say he did overdose on fentanyl. The cop still had his knee on his neck for nine minutes. That is still outrageous, objectionable. You're buying into one autopsy and ignoring the other two. It just I, the this right wing has convinced itself that we don't need to care about reality. We can create it, and so we're going to propagandize our way to success. And the rest of the world goes, that's exactly what the left does and why I don't like them. And they the haven't populism figured on out
1: the right, is the populism on the left. It's right? The same, right. The
0: same. You're not convincing me because you just scream loud enough about this one piece of misinformation that you seem to believe. Then I just don't get it.
1: Yeah, she was a. Sl- she said uh, what MAGA Republican says something like this: George Floyd was a drug addict and criminal. Yet the new Speaker of the House and h- said his heart broke for George Floyd. I'm really MAGA. You know who my heart breaks for? Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin is an innocent man. He was sacrificed what? to appease the violent BLM mob that was enabled by liars like Mike Johnson.
0: Who is this that said that? Laura Loomer. Oh, okay, all right, there you go.
1: <laughs> this is a crazy person. But this, but this is the crazy right the right saying this stuff you yeah know, that's so they don't like him because of these things where he the, on the few things where he's not completely in my mind crazy where he says there is institutional racism but we, we need to acknowledge that we i don't know what we can do to fix it but we at least need to acknowledge it and that sort of thing is what's going to cost him on the social culture thing War aspect where you have the, and what we were talking about before. I don't know if I get to it, but it's like they did a study and found out that they used to Republicans used to be very much about the economy. And now all the Republicans are voting for or care about on their top lists of things that they are concerned about are all culture things.
0: Right. Because it's, it's propaganda. Changed. They've been propagandized. Yeah. It's why do we need the Daily Wire's new cartoon thing? Because the Daily Wire every day on all of their shows for three years has told you that Disney's bad. Meanwhile, just don't watch the new stuff. <laughs> I have a lot of problems with the old stuff. I think Little Mermaid was is horrible. Little Mermaid's a horrible story. There's nothing redeeming about Little Mermaid. I mean, and the original I mean, story is hates, even worse.
1: My wife hates Disney completely because she was watching Fox in the Hand when we were with my family and there was there my nephews and nieces were watching it and she watched it and was like, The first five minutes, it's they just killed the mom. And if you watch all the old Disney movies, they're just killing off the parents to create the trauma that starts off the show. And as you're teaching these kids these horrible things, (laughs) But the difference between
0: like them and their model is they don't like that Encanto has a bisexual rainbow on her dress, which most people don't realize and never hear them talk about it. I don't like The Little Mermaid because it teaches my kid that. To be a woman, you must lose your voice to gain the approval of a man, right? There's no, like, feminism in the critiques. My, well, because my, they're, my,
1: they're, they're happy about that part of it. They think that's the way she...
0: I never hear the critiques, like, from a Christian worldview. When you watch Disney movies, it pushes the individual autonomy that we're dealing with as a culture that says, put yourself first, be happy first, that's the stuff that i disagree with when i watch disney stuff and we have a conversation about most it's not too bad but it it is subtle right there uh, and it's not christian which is put god first serve others first sometimes you're going to have to put your happiness second to not chase after love right so those are my critiques those are, I never hear those love. critiques. It's always yeah. they just like gay people and they like black people and they're putting a black person in a white role. And that's what I'm mad about. And so I just don't find that convincing. I find that to be racist.
1: We talk about that. You can't love others like God wants you to love others until you can love yourself, too. And that's the real where it falls down on is people aren't doing that part of the work and I, and not being in that world anymore I don't have, I don't have much of a right to say too much about it, but that's my opinion is that you've got to be able to love yourself before you can love anybody else. There's definitely
0: a, a piece of, much that of that.
1: A problem where, with our culture.
0: Yeah. You definitely have to, I would say that like in my own life, when I'm a very self-centered person, there's just no two ways about it. I'm very aware of it. I try to counteract it, but when I'm not, actively trying to beat that out of myself (laughs) and i'm not actively trying to put others first and i just go on my natural instincts it and you look at my life from like 2014 to 2017 where i was trying to make myself happy instead of trying to live in a godly way seek after god's character and then live that out my life now because i do that on a daily basis and that is my practice I'm a better person. I still have a tremendous amount of work to go, but I'm not operating from very like selfish motives when I was seeking after happiness or whatever the cultural definition of happiness is, which is usually have sex with a lot of people. And if they don't like you, that's bad. If they like you, it's good. And that's a very unfulfilling way to live. And so the, the cultural conversation of chase after what makes you happy, and happiness is being loved by another human being. I find that to be very hollow and empty.
1: Yeah, you were looking for externalization, external validation for your for the hole that you were trying to fill in yourself, instead of filling yourself with whether it be through religion and, or through self love or through working on yourself and become the person that you can actually like to be be with who you love yourself you were looking for external validation for all that stuff and that's where a lot of people fall down the rabbit hole and get into some very hunter biden type of yeah
0: Yeah. to your point discovering your calling and discovering your god-given gifts and how you can use those to serve other people that self-actualization i think is very important for people i think understanding the difference between me now and 10 years ago is that i used to have no self-worth I didn't think I was a creative person until 2015. I didn't think I was an intelligent person until 2015. I was living for the approval of others, and it's because I had no self-worth. And then once you connect with how much God loves you and what he is willing to sacrifice for that, then it changes your view of your own self-worth. If you understand the Amago Day and that you're created in the image of God, then it changes your perspective of yourself as opposed to this con- frenetic need for approval from other people it will always be in my dna it will always be who i am but yeah there's a huge piece of what disney pushes that a- a- and most entertainment that i just find disagreeable and didn't work for me as a human being <laughs> it made me miserable but that's not the critique you know and so I think there are pieces of the leftist critique of Disney that you need a man to save you, and the right's critique that pushing identitarianism. There are pieces of those arguments that are correct. But I think if you're coming at it from a Christian worldview and you're mad about a rainbow, that's not the fundamental main problem with Disney's content. And I don't know that the Daily, and I've seen this argument, Reinhold, from that in some of these reform groups. So I would never watch that. Because nobody at the Daily Wire is actually Christian. So how could you have, how can you advertise yourself as a Christian, conservative, moral entertainment outlet when you don't really hold our values? Let's just go to Angel Studios. And then even then, that's Mormon, which isn't right. So there's all these critiques from all of these different things. And when in reality, all of it is a lot of legalism. And what you have to do is just have connection with your kids talk to them. I talked to my four month old son for an hour. Sometimes we just sit there and he goes vroom, 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 and I go, vroom. it just, I don't know. It's, I did so you that get with, more
1: intelligent conversation with him than you do on social media.
0: Yes. With squish. She's four and a half, almost five years old. And she's asking deep theological questions and she's asking silly questions and she's asking about nature and she's asking about snakes and bugs. She's asking about everything. And instead of her, I realized the other day I was doing this. I realized this was her point of view. She was asking a question and that's what she saw. She didn't see my face. And I immediately put the phone down and felt really bad about it because I don't. I I dated somebody who was a school counselor for elementary school kids. And she goes, 50% of our population at the schools that I work with, show signs of serious parental neglect. And all of them say that this is their view. So with my kids, that's like the thing in our house. Reagan and I will be like, hey, put the phone down. Put the phone down. We'll call each other out on it.
1: Before we here, get too Let's far.
0: get to the thing and then we'll get to you here. Just a second. So Crush Satan says you're nobody unless somebody loves you. Why am I speaking of eternal validation from God's love, or is that internal validation? I think I don't quite understand. I I agree that discovering your calling is the key to happiness. I would no, say so that
1: nobody unless somebody loves you, I think is what's wrong with culture today.
0: Maybe he's coming at it from a reformed perspective is that you're a wretched sinner who is only deserving of grace. And I am reformed and I understand that we aren't deserving of God's love. But I do think that every human being still in their core wants to be loved. And I, I grew up, I've spent too much time in evangelical Methodist churches to be too reformed. So let's move on, Reinhold. What were you about to say?
1: Well, I just want to say, as we have the situation is now, we talked about how we got here. We've got to, we've talked a little bit about who Mike Johnson is and what he's going to be struggling with over the next couple, couple of weeks. But I think what I've seen in this whole, whole thing is that this process and how it's turned out has ensured, which was probably not very much of a doubt anyway, is ensured that the Republicans probably do not win back the House in 2024 for a variety of reasons. One of them is the fact that you have those 18 Biden Republicans that were Republicans who won the House barely, but were in districts that. Biden won by an overwhelming number, right? So these are people who are probably more left-leaning, but decided to go with the Republican this time. And they're seeing what's happening. One of the, I saw one of those individuals getting stopped by the press, and they were asking them about what do their constituents think about all of this and what they're going to say. And he says, I don't think the cons- my constituents care who's the speaker and aren't really paying attention. And then he added, at least I hope so. All right. Because he knows that it's going to it's probably going to cost them. So if you start doing the math and you say, OK, those 18 let let's say half of them lose their seats. So Democrat after seeing how inept the Republican um, administration of government has been, they're great when they're not in power. They're great at saying no to things and saying, don't do this, don't do this and being blockers. But when they get in charge, they don't know how to lead. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing from this and, group. And that may not so, even
0: be the goal. The goal is to be the permanent opposition right. and not to leave yeah. because they don't really have right. ideas. That's a problem with the Libertarian yeah. Party in a lot of ways is that Very much so, yeah. both the previous and current regimes are really good at calling out the change but have no hope. There's no like right. vision for what could be next. Exactly. And
1: but then on top of all of this, so then you've got that, then you've got what's going to come up in the next few weeks with trying to get a fund government funded, which is going to be an ugly process because they still won't work with the other side. You've got the Democrats in charge of the White House, you got Democrats in charge of the Senate, and you've got a very small majority in the House. They're very li- literally clinging onto just almost no power, but they think they are running things. And they're going to make all these demands our way or the highway. We're going to not do anything. And they're going to shut down government. It's going to blow back on them. So between all of that, or if they do capitulate and they do make a deal and they make it happen, then all of the people, all the populists under Trump are going to be all upset. All the MAGA people are going to be very upset. And they're going to be screaming. On top of all of that, you've got a lot of reasons why they gained some of the power in the House, whether because of the redistricting that happened underneath Republican controlled house legislatures that are all being reversed on lawsuit because they were supposed to do that. They're violating the civil rights act on a lot of these states and they've already gained back probably five or six seats. The Democrats are probably going to get a swing of 15 seats.
0: Yeah. Right. You, you By also, the time it happens. you should be blowing the waters out. Everybody's so mad at Biden and hates Democrats. And so, yeah, there's it should be a slam dunk, but I do think there comes a point where that generational shift that has been warned about for 15 years for Republicans eventually you are the minority party. They have failed to offer a vision to people under 40 that they connect with. And so eventually their base will die. And I'm not saying that Republicans should go full secular progressive, although. Sora of calling for more government <clears throat> i just think there there's a lack of imagination on the republican side to articulate their values and have decided that the best way to maintain our power is to cheat and to be of poor character and propagandize and i think that eventually people will just they're worn out with it and they're not going to buy into it and there's going to become Uh, I I don't know that there's a third party that's going to rise up, but I do think there will be a reformation at some point in the party where it starts to offer a better vision for what the world ought to look like under their values and, and for their base. If the
1: GOP, if the GOP at the end of 2020, when Trump lost, Instead of going on this bandwagon of trying to keep him in power and doing all this stuff, if they had just said, look, he lost, move on, jettison yeah. from the movement, ignore all that stuff. They could have taken control back of that party. They would have gained bigger grounds in 2022 than they did. They would There would have been a red wave because they would not be doing all of the stuff that people are just not interested in that it's causing all this problems in their party that could have led to a position right now where it was they would be putting up somebody young and vibrant with a lot of good ideas a good history of two years of leadership within the house to show that they know what they're doing that they're getting their stuff done or they're, that they're in the right and they could have walked into the presidency with no so problem v, at
0: v-, v- could right. be president right now
1: and it probably Biden would probably wouldn't even be running if that were the case. If it wasn't Trump leading right now, I don't think Biden runs.
0: Yeah. They don't want to take the pain. It's a lot like the country. The country is going to be bankrupt in 2030. And they nobody wants to take the pain. The leadership doesn't have the fortitude. The American people don't have the fortitude. And so we're just gonna print money until things get to a really bad situation instead of having a sort of bad situation. And if I I think a lot of it lays the the blame should be laid, laid on the feet of Mitch McConnell for being a coward. Had he actually taken the trial seriously and impeached Donald Trump or removed him, his ability to be president and taken this off the table and made him a lame duck. He didn't want to do it because he didn't want to make everybody mad. And he had his calculations instead of having a long view of where the party needs to go and say, we need to take this pain now and upset our base and it may personally cost me my ability to be speaker and it may cost me my seat and it may cost a lot of other people their seat but in the short term there's pain in the long term we're gonna we're gonna just have new vision right and you could
1: have started saying that we're the party of principle and been somebody who meant it right so by doing what they've done, they've completely eliminated them being able to say stuff like that. They've just proven themselves hypocrites. And look at Susan Collins, who had all this power and potential. And now she's a laughingstock because it's, did he learn his lesson? Did he learn his lesson? It, it, they just throw that back in her face all the time because that's, that's why she didn't vote for him. And it's like the, they made so many bad decisions from first nominating Trump, which was more of, I think, a laugh than anything for a lot of people. Once he gets in, and I even defended him for a long time in, in some of the attacks he was getting, because I think that there was a lot of high power really coming from the left on it. But when you get the Mueller report and you see all the things that he actually was involved in and did, it did not exonerate him. I don't know where people are getting that from if you actually read the thing, but um, because I just said, no, this guy is what they're saying. He is not to the extent where he's not like a tool for the Russians, but he's going to use them as best he can. He's going to use things to get him his personal power and not being concerned with what's best for America, best for the Constitution, best for what what's best for the party. That sort of thing. It's all him. And that's when I think the GOP should have stepped up and said, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're not going yeah, to do that.
0: I, I was s- somewhat sympathetic I, I said in 2016, I was like, we elect this guy. He's the Gracchi brothers. I just read Mike Duncan's book. I was like, he's going to break the norms. It's going to be bad. Then when he got in, I was like, I'm going to give him a chance. He is a better option than Hillary. Let's see how it goes. And I don't think he was horrible until 2020. Then we get to 2020 and it's like, you're going to use the military on American citizens. That was my last straw with him. That That was just and then tear gassing people to go take the photo shoot with the upside down Bible. And then the right wing tries to propagandize and say, that's not what happened. Don't believe your lying eyes. It's no, I was there. I remember January 6th. I remember everything. I remember doing shows in August of 2020 saying Donald Trump's not going to go from office quietly. Here's his plan. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's telling us. He's going to do he's already saying the election was stolen and rigged. So on election night, he's going to say that. And and so it was just like surprising. And and people read outside of their circle. So they just go, well, this is just what the truth was. And then it's, no, if you expose yourself to a broader base of information, you see this guy is full of crap. And why are you, where's the cracking at? And I'll never forget one libertarian podcaster, him and I were talking a lot. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he's, yeah, the Kraken was when I realized it was all BS because they had bought the Wisconsin thing and like, they don't, if you don't know how elections work and how blue districts are slower because of the larger population report later and these pops and everything, you, of course, if you don't have the base of information and experience of watching elections, then maybe you would think that, that was stolen. But if you have experience and you've been in count rooms and you watch how it works and how hard it is to steal an election, And you come from a place of information and experience that's broader than just 4chan, (laughs) then you are not convinced that anything's stolen. And then they're like, yeah, I just kept waiting for it to drop. And then it never dropped. Yeah, eventually all this, like how many people are running around going, Mike Flynn just said the election wasn't stolen. The freaking head of QAnon, or I know he doesn't want that title, but that's the guy that has been carrying that movement said it's not stolen. Like, it's FBI just
1: a plant, wasn't he? I don't was know. FBI I, informant.
0: Uh, probably, but it, it, like Flynn, Flynn got it to a point where he's like, <laughs> yeah, I just think this is all ridiculous. The people who had the Kraken are her guilt. Yeah, I don't believe it. I don't know. So there's just how many times do we have to be told the military is going to be activated next month and kick kick out Joe Biden? Like, how many times does your aunt have to hear that before she finally goes, maybe this is just all fake, and these YouTubers are scamming me for money?
1: AFK Jr. is going to come back and fight RFK Jr. for the presidency.
0: I know. Alright, we need to wrap up because we're like almost two hours, so we gotta stop this, so it's enough already. All right. Thanks for joining us here on the show. We appreciate you. If you got something out of it, please share it. That's the uh, only way, best way for a podcast to grow is for you to tell your friends. And we're up like almost a thousand listeners in the last six months. Y'all are doing a great job. We are very appreciative of that. And I log in and look at the the back end of the podcast thing and went, oh, <laughs> Okay significant growth since july so it's very encouraging to see that you're connecting with the content and you're sharing it with people thank you so much we appreciate it thanks to reinhold and thank you for tuning in here on the chris Spangle show